Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. A happy holiday season to all of you and hopefully a safe one for you. Glad you've joined us today. We'll have the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. That roller coaster continues. We'll have the latest numbers from Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. We're going to talk about the debate over who will be the next Secretary of Agriculture and whether or not that choice sends a signal as to the direction of USDA under a Biden administration. We'll talk with the president of the National Farmers Union, Rob LaRue, will join us a little bit later. And how does the biodiesel industry feel about the lack of RBO levels uh, being announced for next year under the RFS as that deadline has come and gone? And uh, what about just waiting till a new administration takes power? That's what we heard yesterday from Jeff Cooper with Renewable Fuels Association. From the ethanol standpoint, does the National Biodiesel Board agree with that? Uh, what are they thinking? We'll find out today. Plus, look ahead to their virtual meeting coming up early next year. Another one of the uh, virtual meetings that will be held. So all that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, always good to talk with you. We have some things to discuss concerning Mexico. First of all, uh, some concerns over Mexico's beef grading standards. Tell us about those concerns, and have they been addressed? Yeah, thank you, Mike, and thank you for having me. Uh, yes, this this uh, situation with Mexico really dates back to 2017 when Mexico first proposed their standards. And in this initial proposal, the um, there were several concerns, and actually USMEF and others in the industry uh, published comments back to uh, CIGARPA uh, regarding some of these concerns. I would say that the primary concern was the terminology that was being proposed. Uh, the Spanish um, terminology was very similar to the English delineation of uh, you know, our, our grading standards, you know, prime, choice, select, et cetera. And, uh, and we felt like these correlations were somewhat intentional because uh, one of the biggest uh, marketing advantages we have in a lot of foreign markets is our grading on beef and, and, the, and differentiating the uh, grain-fed qualities of our beef. So anyway, long story short, fast forward to November, uh, late November last month, uh, the final rule was published by Sigarpa, and uh, they they have the. Uh, we, we feel like the standards now are, you know, are. Uh, we, we don't have this concern. Uh, the 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 names, the titles are totally different, and um, and it's not as closely aligned with our grading standards. So, uh, a success in that sense, we feel. Although it may take a little while to implement, right? Yeah, it's uh, there's still a six six month uh, implementation period, uh, uh, which will take us well into uh, 2021. Dan, what can you tell us about the Mexican economy? How it's rebounding from COVID, and of course that impacts uh, their consumption of products like beef. Yeah, the um, it's, the, the timetable is interesting. We early this year in 2020, uh, Mexico was on a roll and. Um, you know, the numbers were up significantly on both beef and pork in New Mexico and lamb, for that matter. And um, uh, their impact with COVID-19 came well after the U.S. It was really last half May and June before they became locked down, you know, so a full at least two months after the U.S. was initially impacted. And um, but, you know, as we suspected, uh, in an emerging market where you have a lot of the retail consumption in, in the wet markets, the traditional markets uh, outside the major cities, the impact has gone on much longer than, than, say, a market like the U.S. or a market like Japan or Korea. And we're still locked down today in a lot of parts of Mexico. Uh, here we are in December. And uh, so, you know, the a lot of the driver on beef, has been um, has been food service. Obviously, as we all know, food service is greatly impacted and still is today. 
But retail has been booming. So in that regard, the retail sector, the online sector has been wonderful. Uh, we're seeing a lot of numbers rebounding nicely on beef and pork, both in those sectors. But because beef was so big in food service, I would say beef is still lagging a bit. Now, the good news on the food service sector is that tourism is starting to rebound. But the tourism right now is almost all Mexican citizens. The international clientele has not been able to get back into Mexico for obvious reasons. Global travel is still not entirely restricted, but it's greatly restricted. And I think as we get a vaccine heading into 2021, it's more widely distributed or distributed more widely. You'll see the food service sector start to come back. So, Mike, we're really... We're looking, we're seeing somewhat of a rebound right now on beef and pork's probably more so at the moment, but we see 2021 as really a breakout year of, of getting back some of this lost share, especially on food service. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Dan, what about your work to expand demand for U.S. pork loin? How's that going? Yeah, that, that's a, a, it's been a really fun project. Um, you know, on pork in Mexico, consumption is dominated by the ham. Uh, I would say 70% of the imported consumption into Mexico is ham-based. And uh, But we're starting to see, you know, interest in doing different things, different, you know, like, like all markets that, be, that are going from an emerging market to a more developed, sophisticated market, they're wanting more merchandising options, more cooking options. So one of the things we've been doing with the help of the, of the pork industry in the U.S. is um, and the checkoff dollars uh, that are invested, uh, we've invested a lot of money into the, the loin subprimal. So it's the it's the it's the bone in loin, it's the boneless loin, it's the shoulder ends, it's the rib ends, it's the tenderloin, uh, and we're giving we're giving the Mexican trade options that they they're not really that used to. So we recently did a, an event out in the Baja region of Mexico, the far west region uh, of Mexico, which is a very uh, relatively wealthy region uh, and very progressive. They're, they're open to new ideas. And uh, uh, a few weeks ago, we did a, a seminar, a two-day seminar with cooking and tasting and merchandising options. A lot of uh, education went into it uh, with chefs from all over that region. And uh, it was very successful. And it's really fun to look at a market, an emerging market like Mexico, uh, that wants new ideas and new uh, options, and uh, U.S. pork loin in this case uh, fit perfectly. Yeah, I think a lot of times here in this country we take for granted that everyone uh, is familiar with and comfortable with uh, the same foods that we eat, prepared the same ways, and that's not always the case. It's, it's an educational process, and something that's familiar to us may be totally new to someone in another country. That's part of market development. Always interesting to hear what's going on in those areas. Dan, as always, good to hear from you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, the... Uh, Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer's latest numbers are out. This time they are down. It's been quite a roller coaster this year. We'll talk about that with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Come experience the virtual DTN 2020 Ag Summit December 7th through 9th. Challenging times demand that you reevaluate your operations. The DTN Ag Summit will focus on ways you can build a more resilient business to farm strong. General sessions and in-depth breakouts will connect you virtually with farmers and financial experts. Have some fun and network with top farmers around the world. The DTN Ag Summit December 7th through 9th. Register at dtn.com forward slash ag summit. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the ag industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Ag. We hope to see you online.
A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, and the November numbers fell 16 points. Here to talk about it is Michael Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist. Michael, the roller coaster ride of 2020 continues. It sure does. Uh, the October index was 183, and as you indicated, uh, the November index is down from that uh, to, a, to a level of 167, so a 16-point drop in the Ag Economy Barometer. What's more interesting is, is looking at the uh, the uh, two sub-indices, the index of current conditions and index of future expectations, they moved in opposite directions. The index of current conditions continued to increase and reached an all-time high uh, for the survey at 187. That's about a 10-point increase uh, from October. And, and, and obviously what's going on here, we've had positive news on the trade front. Uh, 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 prices uh, prices have strengthened, particularly corn and soybeans. Uh, we have... We have uh, uh, relatively high government payments in 2020 and so you combine all of those things and people are pretty pretty optimistic uh, looking at the next 12 months however if you look at the index of future expectations uh, that particular sub-index uh, decreased from 186 in October to 156 in November and so people are, are becoming more optimistic short term uh, but but relatively less optimistic long term now having said that the index of future expectations at 156, is still considerably higher than what it was back in April and May, where it's closer to 110. Uh, but certainly, there was a drop in uh, in uh, um, optimism uh, regarding regarding the next five years uh, from October to November. Are you surprised at that? And did the election have anything to do with it? I, I was not surprised. In, in 2016, we saw a, a fairly a large change in the ag economy barometer, and so elections do do have an impact on the ag economy barometer. And so I was not particularly surprised. And the reason I was, and one of the things we wanted to, uh, one of the things we wanted to track uh, in October, November, we're going to continue continue to do this in December, is to is to look at uh, relative optimism regarding policy issues. And so and so I think that uh, th- that tells the story and why we had to drop an index of future expectations. If we look at uh, three questions in particular, we asked about 10 questions related to policy, but if you look at three questions in particular, uh, we can explain that drop in the index of future expectations. Uh, we asked individuals whether they thought it 
we have more restrictive environmental regulation in the next five years? That 41% said yes in October. That increased to 77% in November. And so much more concern about environmental regulations increasing. We asked people about uh, income taxes, whether they thought we'd have higher income taxes in the next five years. 35% said yes in, in, um, in, in October. That was up to 66% in November. And so you can kind of see the story uh, that, that, that that's developing here is people are, are, are a lot less optimistic regarding where policy might be moving in the next five years. Another question was related to the safety net. Uh, there's more concern about the farm safety net uh, in the next few years compared to what there was in October. And so I think that's really explaining that drop in the index of future expectations. So I I would think then if you look at the the election map, the red and the blue, and so much of rural America having supported President Trump, I guess it would not be a surprise, given what looks to be the election results, that uh, we have these numbers in the barometer because um, they sounds like they're anticipating these changes, not changes that many would like to see in these areas you just talked about. Yes, and, 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 and back in 2016, we saw a big change in the ag economy barometer in a positive direction. And so at that time, they thought we'd have a less restrictive environmental regulation, so they, uh, and so they, their sentiment increased. And so this time around, if you think it's going to be more restrictive, your sentiment's going to go down, particularly when you're looking at uh, you know, the index, index of future expectations. We're talking with Purdue Ag economist Michael Langmeyer, talking about the results of the latest Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. So farmland values, that's something you ask about all the time. What, what are they saying there about their, uh, their outlook? Well, the, the farmland values for, for the next five years really hasn't changed all that much. They're still relatively optimistic that uh, farmland values are, are going to increase uh, five years from now. or going to be higher five years from now uh, compared to today. And so that's been very steady for, for a long time now. That hasn't changed that much uh, throughout this very volatile year in terms of the index. But uh, certainly uh, they're much more optimistic about land values increasing uh, in the next 12 months. I mean, uh, in this latest survey, 26% expect higher land values in the next 12 months. If you would go back three or four months, that percentage was considerably smaller. But you'd expect that to be the, you'd expect that more people would think land values are going to increase given uh, the optimism uh, related to the next 12 months. So that index of current conditions being strong, you'd expect to see, have more people that think land value is going to increase. We didn't ask the cash rent question this month, uh, but we did ask it in October and we will ask it in December. I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised at all when we, when we get the December results, that there'll be quite a few people that think cash rents are also going to increase uh, in 2021. And so that just, you know, you, you, when you have good uh, higher net returns, I mean, we got that net farm income report from USDA ERS, ERS came out recently, and you're looking at net farm income, $120 billion. That's the highest since 2013. You see something like that, that's going to put upward pressure on, on cash rents and land values. And how do farmers feel about China. That's a that's going to be kind of interesting to trace how that how that plays out. Uh, there was a drop in in the percentage of people that think we're going to increase exports in the next five years. I was a little surprised at that uh, because I was thinking that would be more neutral uh, from October to November. Uh, and there's there's less people that think that the uh, the phase one uh, agreement with China is going to happen. Is going to is going is going to continue, and so there was less less optimism regarding regarding that. Uh, and there was also fewer people that think uh, we're going to have new foreign markets, and so they're they're a little more pessimistic on where trade is going than than I expected them to be. So that's interesting how that has gone throughout the the course of the year. So I want to get back to where you started this this difference between long-term and short-term uh, outlook on on conditions. Uh, I, I find that interesting, uh, the, the, the difference between the two right now and how this has developed. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting. But if you think about, you know, uh, USDA ERS does not give a projection for 2021. So let's, uh, for net farm income, well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, net farm income in 2020 
uh, as I indicated before, is, is relatively high. But we have to remember that there was 45 to $50 billion of that $120 billion net farm income as government payments. And so you've got a couple wild cards as you go into 2021. Obviously, uh, we're not sure what prices are going to be next fall. I mean, they could be lower than they are now. Uh, you look at the futures markets, they are somewhat lower, but they're still relatively strong compared to where we've been the last few years. And so you've got a lot of uncertainty moving into 2021. And so part of what's going on here is they, they know that net farm income is strong this year. They had some very, you know, particularly for crop agriculture uh, across most of the Corn Belt, that returns look pretty good this year. But they're seeing 2021 probably probably a large reduction in government payments, uh, in prop, uh, probably lower prices. Uh, and, and, and so I think, I think naturally there's going to be more, uh, you know, more uh, optimism uh, with, you know, in the short term versus the long term. So we'll see how that plays out. And uh, does the market rally continue and we, we start seeing who's going to fill key spots in a, in a Biden administration? All that will, I, I would think, start uh, impacting uh, the results and the attitudes in the next uh, set of numbers. Yeah, and one other thing I would like to point out regarding that index of future expectations, like I said, it did drop, but it's still higher than what it was certainly right after COVID. One of the questions mm-hmm. we asked uh, periodically, is this a good time to bring a family member back? And 60% said yes. That is relatively high uh, compared to what uh, mm-hmm. uh, the responses we've gotten in previous surveys. And so that kind of puts in perspective where we're at with that index of future expectations. Yes, there's less optimism, uh, certainly compared to October, uh, but there's st- you know that that tells me that there's still quite a few people that think agriculture is uh, you know perhaps going to look a little better uh, in 20. 2020 certainly, but 2021 compared to that 14 to 19 period. Kind of reminds us that even though you have to kind of look behind the headline sometimes, and the headline says, well, this month it's the barometer's down 16 points. But as you said, if you look closer at the numbers and put them in the bigger picture, there's more optimism there than the headline might indicate. Interesting. Michael, always good to talk with you. Thanks. We'll talk again next month. Yep. Thank you. Take care. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer numbers. Up next, the debate over who will be the next Secretary of Agriculture, and does that will that selection, that choice, send a signal, an indication of how USDA will be, uh, what direction it will be going under a Biden administration? We'll talk about it next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Grain markets are mixed with the soy complex recovering from Wednesday's sell-off, while wheat and corn trade on either side of unchanged after their higher close on yesterday's trading session. Weather and weekly demand indicators continue to drive the bus until supply comes back into focus after the first of the year. On the Board of Trade, March corn trading a fraction higher at 424 and a half cent. The May contract down a fraction at 4 26 and a quarter. March soybeans trading seven and a half cent higher at 11.62 and a quarter of a cent. The November contract up two at 10.34. Chicago wheat March down six and three quarters at 5.81 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat March down five and a half cent at 5.48 and a quarter of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat March down a penny at 5.55. 
Following the midweek bounce higher in live cattle future trade, the direction of the complex through the end of this week remains less clear. Eroding beef cutout values and mixed cash cattle price moves may keep prices choppy in a moderate price pattern. A light to moderate trade in the north was seen yesterday with dress deals marked at $172 to $174. The south reported a light trade of $110 to $112. We should see a little more trade today, especially in the south. Today's asking prices are around around $112 to $113 on a live basis and $175 to $176 dressed. On the Board of Trade, February live cattle trading 50 cents lower at $113.47. The April contract down 27 at $116.92. March feeder cattle down 40 at $140.57. The April contract down 27 at $141.82. February lean hogs down 22 at $67.65. The April contract down 5 cents at 7082. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. A lot of speculation about who will be the next Secretary of Agriculture. Let's talk about it with the President of the National Farmers Union, Rob LaRue. Rob, thanks for joining us. The names we hear most are Marsha Fudge and Heidi Heitkamp. Do you think they're the two uh, leaders in the clubhouse at this point? Well, they're certainly the two uh, candidates that are getting, uh, as you pointed out, the, the most attraction out there in the in the media. It, I, I think it's always kind of a cautious thing to kind of focus only on that because, you know, ultimately this is a decision that will be made by uh, one person, that's uh, President-elect Biden, um, and those, uh, you know, counseling him closest to him in the inner circle are the ones who really know how many people are on that short list right now. So with Marsha Fudge, there have been concerns raised. She doesn't have a production agriculture background. Her, Her expertise or her Passion seems to be towards nutrition programs. Uh, for Heidi Heitkamp, there have been some pushback about her connections to, to agribusiness and some things like that. Uh, so how do you see this playing out and, and the debate within that Biden circle on what direction he may want to go? Uh, is he going to try to find someone in the middle or, or more willing to lean one way or the other? Yeah, well, obviously USDA is a you know massive uh, agency that you know has a lot of different programs, everything from those nutrition programs over to uh, production agriculture, forestry, um, and so I think it's really a tough thing to try to come up with somebody who is an expert in you know a host of all those issues. Uh, certainly, anybody that we get in there is going to have to be relying on a lot of uh, additional. Uh, help as as any secretary of agriculture does when they come into that job, um, but I would note that you know of those two candidates uh, that we're talking about right now, um, uh, Congresswoman Fudge has been on the uh, House Agriculture for many years. Uh, she has uh, served as the lead Democrat on Conservation Committee. She's also worked heavily in crop insurance. She's worked closely with Farmers Union and Farm Bureau uh, in Ohio. Um, so I, I don't think it's fair to say that uh, she doesn't know anything about uh, these issues. She, she has worked uh, deeply in those issues for a long time. Uh, certainly, uh, I would argue always that Chairman Colin Peterson, who's 
uh, now leaving, um, always made sure that everybody on this committee, particularly those uh, highest on uh, uh, the committee there, understood all their issues, not just those that they may have in their own districts. I think that's made for a stronger Ag Committee in general, and certainly uh, if Congresswoman Fudge is ultimately nominated, I think it puts her in a stronger position uh, to handle those issues. Senator Heidkamp is a you know, strong friend to a lot of agriculture, and uh, you know what we have to look at is her history as uh, Attorney General in North Dakota. I think those are strong skills that could really work well for a Secretary of Agriculture. And in her time in the Senate, uh, representing North Dakota, um, you know, so I think she has that strong hand, um, you know, handle on production agriculture. Uh, at the same time, she has very close relationships with a lot of folks in the nutrition community, and uh, you know, worked on those issues as well. So uh, it's, you know, it's going to be a whole combination of things that the uh, Biden team ultimately uses. And once again, it's tough to say you know, uh, how they're weighing all the different uh, moving pieces here. We're talking with Rob LaRue, president of the National Farmers Union, about who might be the next secretary of agriculture. I mean, Tom Vilsack's name has been mentioned. Colin Peterson's name has been mentioned. Michael Skews uh, from Delaware um, has been, you know, in USDA before and served as a deputy there. Um, other names... Krista Harden, Kathleen Merrigan. So a lot of names that are out there, but Marsha Fudge and Heidi Heitkamp, as we said, have kind of been the, the, the ones we've heard the most about. Let me ask you this, because uh, I think the perception is, and I must admit it crossed my mind immediately, if it's Marsha Fudge, someone who's been more known for work in nutrition and not having the production ag background, although, as you've pointed out, has a, a very broad background in a lot of issues. But if it's someone like Marsha Fudge, do you think that sends a signal to uh, everyone that that nutrition will become the focus or the priority uh, for uh, USDA nutrition programs, which are a big part of it already, but it would seem to send more of a signal publicly that that's the direction it's going to go. Do you, th do you agree with that, that, or do you think that's not the case? Well, I, I think it's really tough to try to read into uh, the nominee choices and what the signal is that's being sent. Uh, so I would really caution anybody from uh, trying to read too much into whoever the nominee might be, because ultimately, whoever it is, uh, if it's Congresswoman Fudge, if it is uh, uh, former Senator Heidkamp, if it is uh, someone else uh, on the list of names here, um, they will be implementing uh, what is ultimately Biden's kind of rural plan, um, and that's everything from rural development to uh, production ag and um, and also nutrition programs. So I think, you know, it's, it's tough to read too much into that unless, of course, the uh, announcement came with any messaging uh, directly with it. Otherwise, just knowing who the person is, I don't think, uh, you know, I would really caution people from reading too much into that uh, because I think it's, you know, you know, if it is uh, one person who may be strong in production agriculture, that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be an emphasis on nutrition. Certainly in an environment right now uh, with so much job loss out there and the, you know, continuing uh, struggles with the pandemic, food lines, uh, food lines everywhere are, you know, you know, just record numbers. So there's going to have to be an increased emphasis on that. Agriculture, you know, while we're seeing some rebounds in some of the markets, you know, is obviously still, um, you know, uh, has a lot of trouble spots, and we're going to have to uh, continue to figure out how we're going to get a more stable path. So there's a lot that needs to be focused on here, and whoever they end up uh, nominating uh, will have a tough road, uh, but we'll need to focus on all of these pieces. Secretary Purdue has been very relatable. As he traveled the country the last four years, he, he related to farm audiences. Do you think if it's Marsha Fudge, for instance, that would be a, uh, would it be harder to accept for those, for farmers and ranchers across the country, someone that doesn't have a production agriculture background? Well, you know, look, I think uh, that's really discounting, uh, I think, farmers and ranchers out there and Congressman Fudge, uh, because um, I, I would expect um, that there would be you know, strong uh, acceptance and kind of relatability out there. Um, she has been, you know, 
working again on the Ag Committee for many, many years. The Ag Committee, um, although it does handle nutrition issues, handles, you know, all the rest of the programs uh, down at USDA. And so she is well-versed in that. She has met with farmers uh, uh, in her home state of, state of Ohio. She's met with farmers across the country. Um, so I don't think that we have that much uh, to worry about there. And I would, you know, again, whoever is secretary is going to have to be somebody that can relate um, and work across a whole diverse set of uh, issues here. Uh, so I, I am confident whoever the um, Biden uh, team ultimately nominates here uh, is hopefully going to be somebody that will work very strongly for family farmers and ranchers across the country. Uh, we need it. We need a strong leader there, uh, but can also meet the demanding needs uh, uh, for the hunger community. Uh, we, we just are going to need somebody that can uh, manage both of those issues. And a lot of it's going to come down to the policies that the Biden administration once implemented. Uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, a lot of times, is the the salesperson for those policies to the to the ag audience. So that that you know, and that can put the ag secretary sometimes in a very difficult uh, position in trying to sell some of those policies, especially if it's uh, a message that a lot of times uh, the audience may not want to hear. So that that'll be a big part of the job for whoever gets it. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, that happens across uh, any of the administrations and the changes. It, it can sometimes, uh, you know, take a little bit of sinking, uh, if you will, uh, between the White House and the USDA uh, to, to get on the same track, because there are a lot of issues that spill over into other uh, uh, agencies. I mean, you take trade, for example, some of the initial moves that uh, uh, President Trump made in trade uh, with uh, uh pulling out of uh, the uh, Pacific deal, pulling, uh, and then, you know, obviously uh, the China trade war itself, uh, that put uh, Secretary Purdue in a pretty tight spot there for a while until uh, there was a synchronization between, you know, what the agendas are and, and how they're going to do it. And we can talk about whether or not that was truly successful, but, you know, my point here is, is yeah, it's not just the Secretary of Ag, right? It's, it's also coordinating with the White House. And it's also keeping in mind that there are very strong uh, uh, what we call sub-cabinet positions, uh, the undersecretaries, uh, the heads of the uh, internal USDA agencies there. So uh, there are a lot of positions here that uh, you know, are yet to be filled um, uh, as we move uh, into a transition here. Um, I'm certainly hopeful that they're going to be uh, filled with folks who can uh, not just kind of do the job uh, at a minimum, but really be uh, leaders and tackle the challenges that rural communities have out there right now. It's a difficult job, Secretary of Agriculture. I once told Mike <laughs> Johans, I said, you, I said, you deliver bad news well. It seems like he was having to deliver yeah. a lot of uh, messages that the audience didn't always want to hear. All right, Rob, well, good I'm to sure talk with you. Would, and Yeah. Yeah. It is difficult, isn't it? It, it certainly is. A job I certainly wouldn't want. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more difficult than it appears to be a lot of times uh, and uh, because you are that messenger for the administration. All right, Rob, yeah, thanks. Sure. Maybe next time we talk, we'll know who that person is, and, and we'll talk about that. So take care and uh, have a ha – all right, take care. Rob LaRue, president of the National Farmers Union. Up next, we'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board. Stay with us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Come experience the virtual DTN 2020 Ag Summit December 7th through the 9th. Challenging times demand that you reevaluate your operations. The DTN Ag Summit will focus on ways you can build a more resilient business to farm strong. General sessions and in-depth breakouts will connect you virtually with farmers and financial experts. Have some fun and network with top farmers from around the world. The DTN Ag Summit December 7th through the 9th. Register at DTN.com forward slash Ag Summit. I'm Mike Adams, and this is Best in Class, brought to you by Bear DeLauro Complete Fungicide. We're talking with Randy Myers, Agronomic Solutions Manager for Bear. Randy, we've heard a lot of farmers say they've had a lot of success using fungicides the last few years. So what you're saying, you take DeLauro and then you add to it DeLauro Complete, you've got more tools in the toolbox now. Yeah, and that's become more important. If we go back to, let's say, let's go all the way back to around 2005, 2006, that was when they first started using fungicides more commonly on corn and soybeans. Now, at that time, a lot of the products were just single component materials, and they were working just fine. But as time has moved along, what we've done is we have created environments where disease pressure has been ratcheting up. As our planting populations go up, as the row spacings get narrower and narrower, we are creating a fungal nursery where we've that canopies very quickly, trapping the humidity off the soil right there where the residue was at. And as we've reduced tillage, that corn residue and soybean residue, that's where a lot of these diseases survive and overwinter. So now we've created an environment that's more conducive to fungal infections, and the need for higher levels of performance continues to ratchet up. So the products that were working just fine back in, say, 2007, they don't cut it anymore. So we have to continually up our game to be able to bring consistency against all the important pathogens as that spectrum starts to change. And it does change. Now we've got gray leaf spot, heavier pressure in some place than we've ever had before. Northern corn leaf blight being problematic. And now add, add to that tar spot, which is now spreading across the Midwest, we need to have parts which can have a higher level of performance against these pathogens to be able to protect the yield potential of your crop. This has been Best in Class, brought to you by Bear DeLauro Complete Fungicide. I'm Mike Adams. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So it is going to be interesting who the choice will be for next Secretary of Agriculture. Um, it is kind of, We just kind of had a little debate with uh, Rob LaRue, President of the National Farmers Union. He doesn't necessarily think the choice sends a signal about the direction of USDA, but I think 
it's fair to say it will be viewed by many that way. Uh, so we'll wait and see who that person will be, who that choice will be. Interesting that most of the farm groups, I think, that I've been following, they're kind of taking a, uh, a wait-and-see attitude, not really endorsing one candidate or another, just expressing a willingness to work with whoever uh, eventually gets that job. Let's talk about that as we started off with Paul Winters with the National Biodiesel Board. Paul, uh, is that your kind of your feeling? Uh, your group and others are just kind of waiting to see who the choice would be and then uh, uh, open to working with whoever that is. Yeah, that's uh, definitely our position. Uh, we know that there are uh, any number of candidates who have uh, very strong supportive uh, positions for uh, the biofuel industry and, and for biodiesel's environmental ben benefits in particular. So uh, we are looking forward to working with uh, whoever is the uh, eventual appointee. And uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on this morning as well, yeah. Mike. I, I mentioned it's a tough job because you're the that person is the the salesperson uh, for whatever the policies are of the president of the administration, and sometimes you have to go into to audiences and stand before them and and, and give messages they may not want to hear, and the tendency is to shoot the messenger. So that makes it a makes it a tough job. Uh, you whether it's uh, even though you're the one delivering it, uh, you're the one that uh, is right there in front of that audience, and you're the one that uh, has to uh, uh, deal with the reaction sometimes. So it makes it a tough job. It'll be interesting to see who gets it. All right, let's move on. Um, one of the policies that is being handled by EPA that is very frustrating to the biofuels industry is uh, the RFS, how it's handled. We've talked a lot about small refinery waivers, but right now the issue is RVO levels for next year, the levels that uh, blenders will be required to meet for biofuels in 2021, we still do not know what those uh, levels are. The November 30th deadline has come and gone. Um, yesterday, Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, said at this point, might as well wait till the new administration takes over. Uh, how does the biodiesel industry feel about it? Well, that, that seems to be what is going to happen uh, regardless. So, uh, you know, the rule was, uh, rule proposal was originally sent to the White House back in May and has essentially just uh, languished there. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be much reason for EPA to delay issuing a rule. Uh, in fact, um, the Energy Information Administration continues to uh, provide the necessary outlooks and projections for next year. So, uh, and, uh, you know, Congress established 2021 volumes in law. So uh, it's really uh, no reason for EPA to hold up that rule. Uh, the delay, you know, simply causes uncertainty for everyone, uh, but uh, in particular, it uh, it causes uncertainty for the biodiesel industry because we are essentially waiting for EPA to set the 2022 volumes for us. And your concern has been not only when they set the levels, but at what level they set them because you felt that they've kind of uh, uh, been lower than what you think they should have been all along. Well, certainly, certainly the EPA has never set the levels at, at uh, the um, volumes that the industry is actually achieving uh, from year to year. And uh, that kind of hampers growth for our industry. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and, yeah, it's been, you know, as with, with 2022 coming, we, we have a real uh, expectation that there should be growth in, in the volumes for our industry because uh you know that growth is uh, established in the um the advanced biofuel volumes for 2022 and you're in and the biodiesel industry has shown it can meet and exceed those levels that have been set so far we're talking with paul winters with the national biodiesel board paul your winter annual winter meeting is uh will be coming up soon and like most all uh, this will be a virtual one for you coming up well, that's right. Uh, while we had hoped to be meeting in person as usual and, and uh, having the uh, personal interactions that are kind of a hallmark of our annual conference, 
we have switched to a uh, virtual platform, uh, but we are going to present the same educational opportunities uh, that are uh, traditional for the conference, and we are going to uh, use the virtual uh, opportunities to uh, enable some networking and, and uh, other uh, other face-to-face uh, -face kind of interactions uh, to the extent possible. How do people get signed up for your uh, conference coming up? Well, the biodieselconference.org uh, website is uh, live and, and uh, taking uh, registrations. The conference uh, will run uh, the third week of January, so January 18th through the 21st. And uh, the uh, the agenda and the schedule are, are being updated uh, very shortly, so um, they're there for everyone to visit and, and uh, take a look at. Yep, we encourage people to do so. There's always a lot of good information each year at your conference, and uh, um, so it will be virtual this year, but perhaps it'll let more people uh, access it that wouldn't have been able to go to the conference uh, in person, so this is their chance to uh, participate this year. As always, Paul, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mike. Take care. Paul Winters with the National Biodiesel Board. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a look at a lot of these uh, issues impacting the markets. Is China done buying? That's the big question. And, of course, South American weather and what's happening here with the uh, the vaccine, the economy, the rebound, things like that. We'll be getting into all those issues tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today.